Welcome back to Good Night Harlem. This is episode 71. I am your host, Law, along with... Abia, a.k.a. Abby Gats, if you know what's up. I miss, I miss, I miss this so much. I miss it too, and I miss our listeners, and we need to apologize, because we have been on a, what, six-month hiatus? It feels longer than that, but yes, that is accurate. Yeah, a lot has been going on to all the listeners. We're still alive. Okay. Um, a lot has been going on. All I will say is that mm-hmm. Law and I actually about to drop a bomb, no longer live in Harlem, but we will cover that in an upcoming episode. Okay. With that said, let's get into, <laughs> let's get into the topics of the day. So today we're not going to do a themed episode today. We're just really recapping everything that has happened and transpired over the past two weeks. And probably a little bit beyond that as well. Now, at the start of this, it's going to be a little bit more emotional because we're tackling some, you know, sensitive subject matter. But from there, we'll get into a lot of trending topics from pop culture and et cetera. But let's start with the big news that just came out as of yesterday, which is Kyle Rittenhouse's verdict. For those of you who don't know, Kyle Rittenhouse was a part of a, a, a shooting that took place in Kenosha where he shot and killed killed two people um, at a BLM march. And essentially that turned into this media circus over the past year to define what was going to happen with uh, the 17 year old's livelihood. And so with that being said, yesterday, they came down and said he was not guilty of all charges across the board. And they were really, really afraid of what was going to transpire out of that, whether or not there's going to be more protests, rioting, et cetera. And I think what we can take from this and the evidence is different depending on your point of view and which form of media you actually partake in. So I say all this to say, in your opinion, Avia, was that a right decision by the jury? Was it a wrong decision by the jury? Give your take and I'll, I'll definitely chime in. Go. I'm going to say it was wrong on okay. across, across the board. I do know that every single charge, I, I will list the charges that he was found not guilty of. First degree intentional homicide, not guilty. Attempted first degree intentional homicide, not guilty. First degree reckless homicide, not guilty. First degree recklessly endangering safety, not guilty. First degree recklessly endangering safety again, not guilty. And anytime you see a charge that says recklessly, that is noting that the person did not have the intent. What? I'm gonna let you finish, but okay. I, I already have like, go for it. Okay, I'm, I, I'm just noticing on on the recklessly part aspect of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, the person did not have intent to do what they did, but it was done, and to find him not guilty of that is what I personally disagree with because from the videos that I saw in the shooting that he did. Yeah, you can claim self-defense, but you can only claim self-defense so far if you initiate a first physical attack. And so at that point, your your claim of self-defense is null and void. Um, If you initiated something and then someone defends themselves against you and you decide to shoot them, that is- What did he initiate? So this is where, this is where my, I, I, I disagree with you on this. So I, this is great. So this is going to make for fruitful conversation. Mm-hmm. I think 
the verdict is right. Across the board? Full stop. Yep. They made the right decision. Verdict okay. wise. Why is that? Legally. Legally. They made all the right decisions. Based off of the charges is what you're saying. Based on proving reasonable doubt. All they have to do on the defense is prove reasonable doubt. And that was very easy to do based on everything that they put in front of them. In fact, them bringing one of the guys on the stand and then doing a frame by frame comparison mm -hmm. proved out to be just as damaging as anything else. When you see Kyle Rittenhouse on the ground, the guy comes at him full fledged and he goes, did Kyle at all like come at you or did you come at him? And the fact is he came at Kyle. You're talking about the guy that hit him with the skateboard. The guy that was going to actually put a gun on him as well. So that's the thing. Like Kyle wasn't the only person with a gun and that makes all this even more murky. So he wasn't just, and this is what, what's all effed up about all of this. It wasn't just like, he's just going up to people like, Hey, I'm about to like shoot you. Mm -hmm. That wasn't it. He's walking around with a gun because he's allowed to based on the rules of that state. I'm not saying that's okay, but it is what it is. And then from there, if you all decide that you're going to run him down, chase him down or do anything of that nature, I mean, that's up to you. You tell him you're going to beat his ass. You chase him down. You got, he says, back away. And he, he shows his gun because he's defending himself. What can I say to that? I can't really say anything to that because ultimately it's up to you to know that somebody else on the other side has a firearm. In their hand. Right. And if somebody has a firearm and I don't have a firearm, I'm not just about to be out here trying to like, be like, I'll beat the shit out of you. So I said all that to say the evidence alone plays out the way that it was going to play out. Like if he's not the person that in that moment, a hundred percent is like, I, I came here with intent to kill somebody and you can't prove that he came in with intent, especially if you are running him down. I don't know what else to tell you. But and I don't think it's right. I don't think it's like morally. I don't think it's right. I would love for morally to th for things to play into the court, but that's not how our court system works. What was the initial, what was the initial attack though? Because all this spawned from the initial attack, right? You tell me, you're telling me that he, you feel like he ignited something. So you tell me I know, but you're telling where he me ignited that something. You agree. So, so the initial, but, but, the initial attack was between him, him and Rosenbaum. And supposedly there was, Rosenbaum was chasing him, throwing a plastic bag at him. I don't, that's, that's what I saw. And then according to what they said, at some point he reached for Kyle Rittenhouse's gun and then Kyle Rittenhouse shoots him. So based off of what I'm learning about this case, did he have enough of a reason to shoot somebody based off of the back and forth that was going down? Did he in the feel exchange, so much in, in danger the, from a plastic bag that and he wait, wait, the knee? The exchange isn't that simple, though. But the that's, what I'm, wondering. that's what I'm trying to get. The, what was your take? And the exchange went even further. It was, I'm running you down and I'm telling you I'll kill you. I mean... Rosenbaum you tell me that. was unarmed. No, but you telling me that with or without you having a weapon, you know what I mean? No. Like, and if I get, and if I get that, I'm going to, all right. You're going to just shoot somebody. And, they're, they're, and if you're, if you're, if you're, and if you're you reaching, wait, wait, wait. And you're just going to shoot them. And wait, let me just be clear. And if you're running them down, I, I just wouldn't be actively running someone down that has a, like, it just does not. 
I don't understand. I don't want to, I don't want to victim shame, but I will say, I don't understand the course of how that came to be. And I think that's what's. what's if you're on the other side of the lines though, think about it. The, the whole protest and what it's all about and how the division starts in the first place. Like on one side of this, you all have your guns, you're acting like you're hoity-toity and we can do whatever we want and we're Trump, make America great again, blah, blah, blah. And on the other side of this, you have people like, hey, you guys are acting as if we don't matter. And frankly, why the fuck are you here? Why are you giving me all this all lives matter jazz when you know what's happening? And so get away from me. And I'm not saying the initiation takes place directly that way, but what I'm saying to you is to act as if on one end, and this is just based on the facts they're laying out. If you charge at someone and you know they have a weapon, it just, bro. And if you like, um, if you go to reach for somebody, what what do you expect him to, now, I'm not saying he should have shot him. Let me be being very clear about that. I think that's, that's wrong. That's my point. But this gets that's into this more. But this gets into this moral conundrum. The moral side of it is, I'm saying you don't shoot somebody in that instance. But also, I I, I am not defending. I, I hate that I, it sounds like I'm defending Kyle Rittenhouse when all I'm saying is based on the letter of the law, it's going to play out. Defending the law, way. which is faulty. But, the but law, this is the problem. This well, is the yeah, problem. That's, that the, is the, the problem. The, the, the rules, the rules are set up the way the rules are set up. And if you don't come, if you yourself aren't equipped with the same equipment that the other person is equipped with, don't talk to that person. Don't mess with that person. Leave that person alone. Because totally then that agree. person can do something in that, in that instance that you can't do. And you don't even get to give your side of the story because you're no longer around to give it. I, I, I totally agree with you on that. But I think I don't. I don't know if that should be the focus because at the end of the day, the only victim of Kyle Rittenhouse who lived was the only one who was armed, which is very ironic. And, I, and, and this is the other part though, but let me just say this is the other part. I'm not saying that Kyle wasn't reckless. So to your point, there could have been a charge that you may have been able to, if you were, if you were, if you were a good legal consultant in doing what they were supposed to do, instead of trying to win, which is all they were trying to do. They were trying to win. It's not about winning. It's about making sure you're doing this within the law and keeping it to the narrative that you need so that the jurors can, so you go, can get the charges this makes sense. That you need. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's exactly. it. And they, that's not what they were focused on. They were focused on winning full stop. And I'm like, bro, that's you can find ways to make sure that you prove that he's reckless. That's not that hard, in my opinion. But that's not what they did. And then in terms of him being the person in my mind that's antagonizing, I think there's ways that you could have probably went about that as well, but that's not what they did. But based on the letter of the law, I mean, what do you want? I, I just, I, I, of course, I'm not like a, a fan of the verdict. Of course, I'm not going to defend that young man. But what I am going to say is I don't like the fact that the media has done a thing where if you're on the conservative side, you're like, he's a hero. If you're on the liberal side of it, you're like, whoa, he's a terrible person. I'm like, honestly, if nothing else, the kid did something that was going to scar and stay with him for the rest of his life because you took two people's lives. And not only did you do that, but their families will remember you and the public will remember you. And frankly, this is going to stay with him forever. And it's not something he can move away from. 
No different than Zimmerman. Zimmerman can't move away from what he did. It's going to stay with you. And it's going to stay even more because the kid was 17 when he did it. But we we just villainize. And I'm not saying that his story should can't be villainized because you killed two people. But we just have to like talk about things based on the, the system that we're in. It just is what it is. I wish it could change, but unless we're going to go to the legislative branch or just in general, take it to the executive branch, I don't care, but do something there. It's just, this is going to be the way it is. That's my f- full stop opinion. I, I think that for me, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's all the little details of the story, which, which really all of it, all of it means something to me. You have a Facebook group that created um, this, they, they basically told people we are going to go out on this day because we heard that there's going to be rioters and looters and we're going to protect our property. We're going to protect our community. And supposedly Kyle Rittenhouse caught wind of that and decided to travel across state lines to a community that's not his to protect infrastructure and buildings and businesses. So it's the idea that you have these men that are traveling for 30 miles into Kenosha, which is not their community, to protect buildings that they have never walked into against peaceful protesters, which majority of them probably did not have guns and weapons and everything like that. And these men are coming in with rifles, hunting gear, standing with the police, bringing all sorts of confusion into the situation. I feel like this, whether or not someone antagonized Kyle at first or did something to him or charged at him, if you decide to bring a gun into a peaceful situation and you decide to use that gun in an unpeaceful way, because I don't know any peaceful way you can use a gun, but to defend yourself, you now decide to use the very weapon you chose to bring into a situation you chose to be in. At that point, you deserve some sort of repercussion for that choice. That, that, that is the way that I feel about this situation, whatever the repercussion is. And that's why, yes, maybe the charges weren't correct. Maybe they should have looked at lesser charges, but the whole reckless aspect of the charge is what I agree with because I'm not saying that Kyle necessarily intended to kill, but a gun is seen as a weapon that has full intention to kill. So someone can't judge his shots and be like, well, he didn't hit him in the heart and the guy didn't die. So he didn't intend to kill him or he did kill this guy and he didn't mean to hit him there, but the guy just happened to die. We, we can't sit here and judge how he shot. But what I'm saying to you is at the point where you choose to insert yourself into something that has nothing to do with you and you take the full initiative to do so full out with weaponry and everything, you, you shoot the first person, people hear you. Now they're pointing at you like, that guy has a gun and he just shot him. Everyone's looking at you like you are a threat and you are about to do something else because you just did something just now. We don't know, we don't know all the little details about how that happened, but you came here with a gun, you just shot someone, you are capable of shooting somebody else. I forgot his name, but whoever came up to him with the skateboard, that was not necessarily self-defense, but that, and if you listen to the witnesses, all of them say the same thing. 
he should be seen as the hero. They all say it because he was actually just trying to take him down and take the gun away from him. He was not trying to kill him. He, what are you gonna do with the skateboard? Really, what are you gonna do? So I'm not even condoning what he did. I'm not condoning him hitting him with the skateboard, but he, they are now looking at Kyle as a threat and they're now trying to keep everything peaceful and take down the person who actually shot somebody. And so when you have two people coming at him and he's shooting at them and one survives and one doesn't, it, it gets a little hairy. I think the first issue was the fact that they, they dismissed the charges about him being underage, him being an underage person with a dangerous weapon because there was some sort of confusion in the law about, um, about bar uh, barrel rifles or something like that. So they decided to dismiss the charge. The dude was 17 years old with the, with the AR. And you cross state lines, you don't even live in Wisconsin. So mm. at the point where they dismissed that, that was telling of how everything was going to go. On top of that, Kyle Rittenhouse claims that he was there to come in peace, but also to help someone. There's vi video footage of him saying like, look, I got medical supplies on me. If anyone needs help, if you need help, like I got you. That's, I'm, I'm quoting it loosely. He had medical equipment and they even asked him in the trial, you had med medical equipment and you were there to possibly save someone if you could, but when you shot those guys, did you ever think to use your medical equipment to make sure that they, they stay alive? And he said, no. So at that point, I'm a little bit confused about what your motivation is. And so I agree with you on the fact that because the, 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 because, because the justice system is faulty, prosecutors have to find a way to win lesser charges, unfortunately. Because if, if, you're going to, if you're going to win a case, you're gonna to have to choose something that you can actually fully outright prove. His horrible Academy Award performance, crying and looking for the judge to, to, you know, to blink those tears out, like, come on now. But like you said, rest of his life is gonna be tainted by this whole situation. And maybe that is the biggest, who knows, that may be the biggest um, punishment for him after all. The only other thing that I was going to say on this, and I'll leave it on this point, um, people are making this about, you know, the culture war for a bunch of reasons. And when I say the culture war, I mean Black versus white in America, standard BS. Um, I would say this much. If I was going to point to a part of, quote, white privilege that people are associating with this, it's not that he got off, in my opinion. It's more so that white people saw what happened there before they even knew the news and decided they were going to put money in a fund to support that kid. Mm. That to me was a privilege. Everything else outside of that, the culture war will eat you alive. White, black, indifferent does not matter. It will eat you alive. So that's my last bit it, of statement. To on your that. point on my last tip, to your point on my last tip, I think what this is, finally shown uh, white people in America if they weren't aware of it from all the other instances of white privilege is that even when you shoot your own, you still get off. 
Because I think everything that we've seen has been a white black situation, has been a white Asian situation, has been a, a whatever, whatever the instances are, it's been a white versus a minority. And now this is a white on white crime. You know, the thing that kills black people the most is black on black crime. You know, it's not, it's not police officers. So now we're, 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 we're seeing white on white crime and we're still seeing someone get off. And if that doesn't, if that doesn't re-emphasize what white privilege is already, it, it should do so now. That's what, that's how I feel. Well, okay. I, <laughs> see, I told y'all we was going to come in and we were going to be a little bit more, uh, we're going to be uh, as we always are pretty much. Right. But the next topic that we want to get into is around something that's even further closer to pol politics, should I say. And it's in the D.C. area. And that's Howard. Howard University has been in the news. And if you guys don't know what the hell Howard is, I don't even know how you can listen to our show. That's where Avia is. I'm a moderate. You don't need to be listening to our show if you don't know no, but, what Howard is. Yeah, it's and kind of like. you haven't been listening to our show. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you for being here for the first time. Anyway, <laughs> point is. Howard University has been in the news. And when I say the news, I mean every single possible domestic outlet you could possibly think of that's a national news <laughs> uh, station has talked about Howard University. And for the first time, it has been solely because of a true negative reason. And Avia, I'm going to do some injustice when I talk about this. So it's, it's going to be me Alpha, Alpha, and go ahead. having this conversation outright. But just before we even get into this, I went to PWI. Avia went to Howard and HBCU. So this conversation is going to be great because I can't wait to like unpack this even more. So let's get into it. Essentially, um, students have been protesting or should I say were protesting for 35 days around housing conditions at Howard University. The issues were as small as Wi-Fi connection problems to as big as pipes being exposed, bursting and water leaking, which of course causes mold to grow under beds, on their clothes, air vents, and even covering some of the walls holistically, which of course means they are breathing in mold as well, which causes respiratory issues. Um, they also have an insect rodent infestation. And, and when I say rodents, I specifically mean rats. So let's not even act like that's a game. Uh, and Insect, I legit mean roaches. That's a big deal. Um, some students have even been coughing up blood due to the sheer deterioration of the overall building. Um, to combat this, the students started creating tents for shelters outside of the dorm in the Blackburn Student Center with air mattresses and everything else and in between to like make sure that they can cover themselves. While other students have been sleeping on the floor in the cafeteria, Howard's president finally just released a message, I believe it was November 15th, saying that they've reached an agreement with the student body to share, and they'll be sharing details shortly. I said all that to say, this is something from one of the biggest, if not the most notable HBCU in the country. And their tuition is around $50,000 a year. And at the point that students are paying $50,000 a year and the president that I just brought up makes a million dollars a year, all of this is beyond me in terms of accountability. So the first question I have in regards to all of this, Avia, especially you being somebody that's went to an HBCU, is who's 
fault is this? Is it as simple as saying the administration didn't do their jobs? Is it that they didn't have enough funds? They haven't got enough sponsors? Um, is it something that management and leadership at the top just they should have been paying attention to? Is it something the students should have been flagging forever? Like, what is it? Tell me what you think. Like, whose whose fault is it as a starting point? I believe, and, and this is the thing, I don't really know how the hierarchy works, right? We have the president, but in this particular situation, we have the students who live in these housing conditions. So Howard actually contracted this company called Corvius, which okay. is, a, which is a, a, like a management company. And they actually manage about the majority of Howard's dorms. So it's not it's not the there actual is, there school is doing it. They've hired a contract. They hired a contractor to actually handle all of this. They, so Corvius, okay. Corvius actually manages about sixty percent of of the on on campus housing for Howard. What specifically do they do for them? When you say manages, that means they actually hire the people who handle all maintenance across the board. From my understanding, and like I said, I, I even though I went to Howard, I'm not fully connected you know like I'm not fully connected as to what the students fair. are doing and you know like what's going That's on fair. I didn't even know about Corvius until this all happened to be honest with you um from my understanding it's just like any other management company so if you live in an apartment building and you have maintenance and you have you know different things that happen requests that you put in that is an aspect of it now what I don't know is if Corvius was managing all of the buildings that had the issues like I said, they only manage about 60% of, of on-campus housing. I don't know if they managed all of the buildings that had the issues because there were plenty of dorms that had a rolling list of issues, black mold, like you said, mushrooms growing out of the ceiling. That was wild. The, the, mold, the mold issue, I believe, and from what I've heard, stems from the fact that when COVID hit last year, all the students had to go home. So nobody was occupying these dorms. But from what I also heard is that when it came time for the students to come back, there were not proper checks to make sure that the dorms were up and functioning and ready and in livable condition for someone to be there um, in, in that environment. So Okay, so, so, so there's that gap. I get it already. There's right, a gap right. that took place. And in that gap, where there is no students on, it's no different than with our roads and what was happening with the MTA. The MTA actually, and if you guys don't know what the MTA is, it's the New York Metro Transit System, whatever. Anyway, point is the MTA actually did train and track work while the shutdown took place. Mm -hmm. They knew that that was their best possible time to like do any core maintenance. And so they would actually shut down lines because they knew not many, many customers are gonna be there and they wanted to make an overall better experience. If you are running a business, which college is a business. Howard is a business. It's a private business. It's a, it's a business. Right. You have to make sure that the maintenance of the buildings that you own are at the forefront of your thought process at all times. And so once COVID does hit and you know you need to send students home, everything that you guys should have been doing to like make sure that the maintenance is being taken care of, all of that plan should have went in action. That to me right there 
is not only just a leadership thing, but it's also that maintenance company's job to say, hey, here are the things that we need to actually start to plan for before we ever bring any other students back. We can do holistic whole changes now because we don't know when they're going to come back in. Full stop. Right. And it's been it's been a year and a half since COVID hit. Right. So you have a year. You, you pretty much had a year and a half to make sure that every single dorm was in a livable condition. But if you do not do that, if you don't monitor the moisture in the air, yes, there will be mold. If you don't clean out the, the air duct vents. Yes, you you will have other issues and other things growing in and respiratory issues and students coughing up blood and having to go to the hospital because of that. And as I was watching this situation unfold, in my mind, all I was thinking was, please don't let somebody die. Because if someone actually died, you can die from, from motives. I agree. Motives. I, know, I know. Yeah. yeah. Full stop. So I agree. I, I was just hoping that someone did not die from this situation because I would have hated for it to get to that point in order for a change to happen. And at that point, you know, a change would have happened. You know what I'm saying? This is the school's right. reputation. Um, so at the end of the day, students but, were- But do you, do you think it could have been because they were underfunded? Howard is not under, underfunded. I'm asking, like it, it no, could be possible. Though. By any stretch of the Damn, she said just no. <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, they are not underfunded. Um, I will say this. There was a, a Black couple who met at Howard who's been married for years. I think they're in their 70 or eight, 70s or 80s. This came out maybe a couple days after we heard about the protest. They donated the largest donation Howard has ever got from an alumni. It was $5 million. So when you see students protesting horrible housing conditions, some of us don't even have housing, to largest donation from an alumni is $5 million. You have to ask yourself, where does this intersect? How does this even go? I will say that everything started off with the housing conditions, right? Students were going through these housing conditions. There was actual floods, pipe bursting, as you were saying, mold growing on, on the students' belongings, um, not having hot water, even in the chemistry lab, not even having clear water to come out of the pipes, which is a danger within itself. So now you're not only impacting the student's living environment, you're impacting the student's learning environment. That happened. Students decided to take action. They wanted to host a town hall with the president and the faculty. They showed up at the, at the town hall and the president did not show up and the faculty did not show up. At that point, they decided to make the executive decision, we're gonna protest. So what they did was they went to Blackburn. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what Blackburn Center is, it's basically the main student center on campus. It holds a computer lab, it holds a restaurant, it holds um, the cafeteria where most of the people, most of the freshmen eat. And this is a very important aspect of this story because there's been a lot that has transpired, which, which this is why this detail is important. Um, it holds um, the punch out, which is the eating area. It holds the cafeteria, which is where all the freshmen eat. All the freshmen eat in the cafeteria. That is their main place to get food, right? Um, and it holds a lab and all these other things. The top floor of, of Blackburn was under construction. It has been under construction for who knows how long. It's, you don't access it. 
these students decided to camp out in Blackburn because that is, that is the, the main building of the campus where every student goes into at some point. They started camping out in Blackburn, inside Blackburn. There's, there's three or four levels of Blackburn. They start camping out on the main level, on the bottom level. At some point, students started camping out in tents outside of Blackburn. The only reason they were camping out outside was to protect the students that were inside because there were some points where people were not being let into the building. And eventually what ended up happening was whoever made this executive decision, I don't know if there was a president or someone else who runs Blackburn on the faculty, they decided to shut down the cafeteria and the other eating places within the student center where all the students eat. They decided to shut it down. They also decided to put out a tweet that said that as a result of these protests, Sodexo, which is the company that, that, that um, actually manages like the food preparation and everything for all of these uh, uh, eating places in Blackburn has been laid off. Because of the protests, because you guys decided to protest, we had to lay off all the people who work in the cafeteria and the cafeteria is now closed and the restaurants now closed and the punch outs now closed. So what, what they decided to do was change the focus from the protest to these students are at fault and all the students who wanna utilize these, these places can now not because of these students. They were targeting these protesters and making it seem like they are the reason for why Howard decided to make the change to close the cafeteria. Throughout the time that they have been protesting, there have been so many donations, there have been so many black businesses and other businesses that have come, given them food, um, water, snacks, clothing, materials, tent, like, you know, all these, all these things that they've donated. Me and two of my friends, we are all Howard alumni, we decided to donate as well. And we went to Target, bought a flurry of things. And when we got to campus, I swear it looks like, they called it tent, tent city, but it looked like um, Skid Row. That's what it looked like to me. It was just tense. I'm not saying on, on a drug. I've level. seen okay. it. I've seen, I've seen it. I've seen yeah. it. I've so seen you it. have, so you have the tents lining up, taking over the front of the uh, student center. They have a pile of donations. It's, they had it super organized. All the donations under one tent. They had so many donations from people that any student who was not allowed to go to the cafeteria anymore would come to them for food. So any student who has ever come to them for lunch, dinner, they had it. That's how many donations they had. And that made me proud because that told me we care and we're showing up for them just the, the same way that they're showing up for themselves. I had a talk with about two or three of the students and the stories I heard, which I can't say here were, it, it really disheartened me. It really disheartened me. Um, one of the stories I can say is that there was a student who visa status was a little bit shaky, didn't have housing, sleeping out her car. Um, but at the end of the day, Howard is charging $14,000 a year for housing. Not only that, like you said, they're charging 50K a year for tuition and expenses, right? So at the yeah, in, in total, it's twenty seven thousand flat for just tuition, and then upwards to fourteen thousand plus 
for an incremental fees and then add on a bit more for everything else. Right. So that's why I'm saying it's almost $50,000, which so, I did not know. Oh, I yeah, looked the, all the this up and I was like, this is exponentially since I went there. I think it was y- like yesterday's price. Yesterday, yesterday's price. Right, right, right. I, I think I went there price. for half that price. I got the clearance rate, right? Um, <laughs> but inflation. It, uh, true inflation. I will say this, though. Not everyone had, had a car to sleep in. Not everyone had a friend's dorm they could go to when the mold was growing in on their dorm. Not everyone had a place to take a hot shower, you know? So um, what I was hearing was, and, and one of the stories I heard was from a girl who told me four out of the five classes that she has are online. The teachers make the decision on if they wanna host their class online or have it in person. A lot of these students are on Howard's campus, living a Howard quote unquote lifestyle, but not having the in-person learning experience based off of if their teacher decided to host their class online or not. So imagine this, you are now having to take all of your classes from the comfort of your dorm room, but your dorm room is uncomfortable because a pipe burst, there's mold growing on your notebook, there's mushrooms growing out of your ceiling. Where can you go? And so when you think about it like that, they're paying all this money with none of the amenities. It's disheartening to hear that. And I think what what kind of hurt me the most is that it went on for 34 days. Because when I got there, it was like the 11th day. And I just want to make clear the demands that they were asking. This is what they were asking for. And if they had all these demands met, they were going to stop protesting. All they wanted was first an in-person town hall meeting with President Frederick and the other officials, which did not happen at first, which started the whole thing. Two, they wanted the permanent reinstatement of student alumni and faculty affiliate positions to the school's board of trustees. Those positions have been taken away this past summer. And they were like, why? Because when you look at what the board of trustees does, they're responsible for developing and improving the school's mission, their goals, their objectives, And they're also responsible for approving the annual budget and how it gets applied to things within the university. So now you're taking away the students' power, the alumni power, and the the, um, faculty power to help make the decisions of where Howard's monies are going. And you're saying, we're stripping you of this completely. And now you have zero say in anything. The other thing that they wanted was Um, They wanted the university to create a comprehensive housing plan. Basically what they were saying was that the majority of dorms, the the, the majority of dorms are for underclassmen or or those that are freshmen and sophomores. If you are a junior or senior, you are less likely to get housing, which to me is kind of asinine within itself because not everyone has the means to live off campus. Um, and the last thing they wanted was legal, disciplinary, and academic immunity for the protesters. They wanted that immunity because the university um, officials were basically trying to scare them into not protesting anymore. They were threatening to expel them. They were threatening to um, take them out their classes. They were threatening to say all these things so that the students would be scared enough to stop protesting because they wouldn't be getting their degrees or you know, they would be kicked out of class. 
And so those were the only things that they were asking for. At the point where you have Roland Martin and you have Jesse Jackson coming to the school, talking to the students, it's a bad look. It is a bad look. And I'm gonna say this as a Howard alumni. I love my school. I have ultimate pride for my school. And I think that anyone who went to HBCU has that. That's what we share across the board. We have this immense amount of pride that no one can touch. It's almost like you talk about our school, you can't talk about our school. It's, it's kind of like a your mama joke. You and your sister could do your mama jokes, but homeboy that you know from around the way can't talk about your mama. You know what I'm saying? So I say that to say the pride that we have for our schools as HBCUs is immense. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to sit here and be silent for what I think is wrong. I'll defend my school to the end as long as it makes sense. At the point where it stops making sense, I'm sorry, I can't defend what's happening. Because what the students are going through is actually a different variation, a more heightened variation of what students have been going through at Howard for years. We all have a housing story. We all, if we don't have a story, we know someone who has a story, right? I have my own housing story of how I almost didn't get housing my junior year at Howard. And I had to like hustle and figure it out on my own. But at the end of the day, I wasn't dealing with pipes bursting, roaches and rats and um, post-COVID uh, uh, environments, you know, of a pandemic, which is something that I could not relate to from these. Roaches things. and ratchets is Roaches my and ratchets. That is my new favorite I had, I had to deal with the ratchets, but not the roaches, right? Um, she so, said, girl, one thing about Howard, we don't deal with roaches and ratchets over here. <laughs> I was, I was slipping up on my words. All I got to say is that, um, I, I was proud of the students and I have to say that, um, you know, like you said, president Frederick is the highest paid president in the DC area for any university that is Georgetown included. That is Georgetown included. So, um, at the point where this comes down to him, it comes down to him. It does. At the end of the day, if you choose to be president, it falls on you. You can blame Corvius, you can blame this, you can blame the students, you could all this pointing fingers, it comes down to you. And at the point where you decide that you're not even gonna speak to the students, you're not even gonna have a conversation. You're at fault because you're not even choosing to connect with them to even one, explain what's happening or two, hear them out. So when you, when you ask who's at fault, it is him. It falls on him because he could have handled this in a way where it did not get dragged out to 34 days. And he did not. And that was a choice. That was a choice. Um, all I will say is, is that as an alumni, I'm proud of these students. I, I back these students up. And I don't care if my university looks bad. Because at the end of the day, the first story that came out about this was actually Clark Atlanta. They, they had similar situation. And from this Howard situation, it kind of set the blueprint for everybody. Oh, lo now look at you deflecting over to Clark. Now look, look at you. I'm not deflecting. Looked at you. I'm actually saying Nobody that brought Clark up. When the Nobody brought Clark up. Now, when Here the Howard situation happened, when the Howard situation happened, Clark Atlanta and all the students in the um Jarena, if you listen to this, Jarena, if you listen to this. She does not mean this. No, this I'm about is, to this say is... something good. I'm about to say something good. It's a standard, <laughs> you know? Good, bad, good, right? So all I'm saying is that they decided to ban with, with the Howard students in support of what they are going through because they were also going through it as well. Um, 
And I'm saying this to say that this is a problem across a lot of HBCUs. This is not just a Howard issue. It's just that the Howard issue got bad and students spoke up against it. I'm so mad I can't bring in a Nene Leaks drop where she's like, no, why I'm in it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care about reputation. I care about the right thing. I don't care if Howard's numbers go down after this. I care about the right thing. I'm glad that you feel that way. Now Howard's not looked at it. Oh, this prestigious, illustrious. It's not illustrious if this is how you're feeling. I'm glad that you feel that way because I don't know that our vice president, Kamala, feels the same way. Kamala? Yeah. Kamala, I don't know that she feels the same way. You're so, like, right. why why is it that she hasn't spoke up? That was a conversation you and I were having yesterday that I saw in my group chat going crazy. Right. Is it not her responsibility? Is it is it the VP's responsibility to say something? Well, what were you know what I mean? people in your group chat saying about what Kamala should have done in the situation? Based I, on I, one, um, when it first started, she has enough authority and voice to whereas if she says something, especially being somebody that's in DC politics, she's not just anybody in DC politics. She is the second in command. If she says something, that reverberation changes how management at Howard moves. It changes how the school at whole does things. And because she is a reference, she is a clear representation of the school people actually associate Howard with her, which is Mm -hmm. even more, it was even more reason in their minds that she should be putting a cape on, a cape on for the students and being like, yo, we got to fix this now. And why aren't we? What, what, What can we do to like make this right? And if she puts that out there, I will guarantee you, Howard as a whole, as a collective, as a, as a university does not want not only the PR hit, but they also don't want alumni to feel what they ended up feeling. Like this could have all been exacerbated um, earlier. If you like, and I'm just talking about in terms of prominence, if she gets involved, that's what they were saying. I don't know whether or not it's her responsibility to do that, considering all the other things she has on her plate, but it was very interesting to hear out their points of view. They also brought up the fact that if you're going to, run on this idea of you being down with all the HBCU everything, then you have to be down with it when things aren't going that well for the school that you represent. And I went, yeah, I mean, I can see, I can see it. That's all I got. That's all, that's all, that's all I got on it. What was your, what's your take on that? And then we can I, move on to the next subject. I, I agree with you on, on the fact that this was so close to home for her. Why would you not say something? And we're not even asking her to give money. We're not even asking her to have a chat with the president. We're asking you to just say something because that's exposure. And that's also bad press for Howard. And as if Howard didn't already have bad press in the last 34 days. I think that the reason why it lasted for 34 days, as opposed to a week, for two weeks is because I honestly believe that though Howard's motto is standing in truth and service, the truth is when these kids are servicing themselves to help the future generation, Howard did not think that they were going to last as long as they did. 
I don't think that the president thought. Did you just make an excuse? You just did you do that? You, did you just? No, I'm saying you said saying all this stuff prior to this. No, no, no. I'm just... saying that this lasted for so long because I don't think that Howard and the faculty that were working against the students thought that the students were going to last this long. I think they thought it was going to die down. I think they thought that the the students were going to get tired and, and go home and bow down. And because they did not bow down, this lasted way longer than it should have to the point where if you have MSNBC talking about it, if you have Jesse Jackson talking about it, if you have Debbie Allen talking about it and visiting the campus, I don't remember the last time she stepped foot on that campus. You have Roland Martin doing an hour long special on it and talking to the VP of, of affairs who lied blatantly to his face. At this point, you're getting more than the bad press than you thought that you were gonna get. And now you have to nip it in the bud. I'm shocked that it lasted this long, but I'm also not shocked because I feel like this was a test for the students and they passed. That's what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I guess. They were trying to call the students that, I don't know. They were trying to call the students what? I really do feel that. I really do feel that they thought I, the I don't know where you Okay. Wait. That's a hot take. I don't think it was about <laughs> Just me way outside of all this. I don't think they were trying to necessarily call a student's bluff. It was more so like, this is fixable. As long as we get this over with in the background, this will go away. Like we put enough yeah, resources against this. 34 days. So, so I'm bringing this up to say, why did this go on for 34 days? This is the longest protest in Howard's history, actually. Why did this go on for this long? It may not seem like a long time because it's, oh, it's a month, a month out the year. That's a long time to be living in a tent in 40 degree weather. That's a, that's a long time. When a tent is a better situation for you than the $14,000 dorm you paid for. So that's why I'm saying, I feel like they let it last this long because they didn't think it was going to last this long is what I'm saying. And they undermined the student's ability to have to have the power that they did and the power that they kept. That's how I feel about it. Okay. <laughs> but maybe I, it's I, because, I, but maybe it's because I, I've been to Howard. So I, I know that Howard, Howard will test you to your limits. You're not going to get a lot of things easy. You're just not. And anyone who went to Howard can attest to that. In, in any aspect of their of their career, their four-year career at Howard, there's a lot of loopholes and not loopholes, there's a lot of holes that you have to go through to sometimes get the things that you deserve or to get the things that should have been given to you. And it's because of incompetency. And I'm gonna flat out say that. It is because of pure incompetency. And so- I, I just want everybody to know, this is coming from Avia, this is not coming from me. It doesn't matter. One half of the good night Harlem is saying that Listen, I am not. Anyone who's listening to this podcast right now who went to an HBCU, they know exactly what I'm talking about. It doesn't even matter what HBCU you went to. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying that this is the only HBCU thing. I'm saying that from the HBCU experience, from my lens and from other people that I know that have gone to, you can ask your, your, your boys that went to Morehouse. Ask 
some, what are the craziest things that you've heard about students having to fight to get what they needed or what they were supposed to get and they didn't get it the first time? I'm sure your friends will have stories. The thing about it is we don't sit here and broadcast these stories because when we look at our full four-year college experience, there's so many good things that happen and so many good things and, and good moments that we had that we let that overshadow the bad. Everything's not perfect, but there's a lot of ways that Howard could have prevented from ever being in the situation. And that's because of years of incompetency. That's all I'm saying. The incompetency rose to a head, it became public, it became national, and now their backs were against the wall and they felt like, oh, I guess we have to do something now. For you to even let it get to that point shows that you had no intention of doing the right thing in the first place. And that's all I'm saying. Y'all just gotta understand. I just let obvious blow towards this whole thing. <laughs> That is her. That has nothing to do with me. This is not Thank a Howard, so and, and this is not a Howard bashing session. It's a let's keep it real and call a spade a spade. No, let's keep it real and call a spade a spade. Fix what's broken. That's it. That's I think it. We have to change the, the the part of this episode to just Avia got some feelings she want to get off about how. <laughs> I'm just calling a spade a spade. Now, if it makes someone look bad, then change that and fix that. Right. That's all I gotta say. And that's in, that's in any situation, a company you work and for, that's a, my mama, you to, like, a friend that you have. If you're calling something, a, if you're calling a thing a thing and it makes that thing look bad, then it needs to be fixed. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of colleges, I want to get into another subject. And um, I, I think this is going to be something that some of you already know about. Others of you, this might be new for you. I think it's going to be a very interesting topic to cover because I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this because I have very strong thoughts. Wow. So sorry for my voice uh, doing this thing right now. But oh, you're going yeah. through puberty? What's going on? Oh, very strong. Me, me, me. Anyway. Um, so on, on October 4th, a TikToker named Megs for Fun, whose content on TikTok is primarily covering things that are around uh, curvy women, curvy men, uh, and things that are about fat phobia, fat phobia in general. She highlighted something that has been going on for years. And when I say years, I mean decades on decades. Hmm. She exposed uh, something that, in, in fact, that thing that I'm referring to, there's full research about it, for God's sakes. The subject is hogging. Hogging is basically the practice of a group of men that compete to have sex with the fattest woman in a bar or party. Oh my gosh. Sometimes <laughs> wow. post-sex, the guy will then invite the entire group of men into a specific room where that woman is and have them oink at her and harass her to leave. There is something to this that I went, there's no way culturally that this is something that's being done on the campuses that we were just talking about, right? Okay. I'm like, I hope it hasn't, right? And for the most part, I couldn't find a lot of data on that happening 
at HBCUs. But I did find a lot of data in the news headlines that this has occurred at numerous PWIs. Numerous. And it's frat guys. They probably created it. <laughs> it's frat guys in general. Now, there's been a slew of different ways that this has been like labeled. There's a whole bunch of ways that these things are being talked about. But one of the reasons why this became even a, a bigger highlight is because recently some girl had went through the same thing. And essentially, she was telling her story and how not only did they embarrass her, but of course, they take video of it. So there, of course, can be repercussions on taking videos of people when they're naked. Blah, blah, blah. We, have, we know all these things. I have my own thought process around this, especially based on reading articles about it and just tapping into a few people that I know that went to PWIs and that actually were in fraternities. And the first thing that I that came to my mind, and this is what I was talking about, about bringing up more of a word that I feel like encapsulates something that's happening across the board in society, not just in fraternities, but it is homosocial behavior. Homosocial behavior is essentially people that try to ensure that they further relate to or help deepen their social relationship between people of the same sex especially men and those things that they do to like relate to those other guys are things like this it's things like competition or how many people can i bag or what like all these things that make somebody else from the same sex go rah 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 that's fucking great for you and i don't think this is just a thing that happens just like i was saying for fraternities i think this happens throughout culture and it's fucking sad to be honest it's sad but what I want to ask you as a woman, have you seen anything like this in your days, especially when this is back in the day when you were on a campus and or even in your days in clubbing, nightlife, anything? Have you seen anything like that? Because when I'm asking my other friends about it, they were like, well, you could also equate this to somebody going to a club and essentially at the last part of the night, some guys go out of their way to pursue women that they deem not as quality. And it could be bigger, whatever, whatever thing that that guy views as negative and tries to sexualize her at the end of the night because he wants to get his rocks off. And then he's able to tell his guy friends like, yeah, look what I did. Up here. And I went, I feel like at, it, there has to be an age cutoff for this. Like, I don't know that that's happening at all ages. And that's beyond me because I just don't think that way. But I wanted to throw, throw that out to you. Have you heard of any instances of anything like this happening? Have you seen that in a nightclub format? And do you feel like society as a whole has that issue permeating throughout it around just homosocial in general? I, I have never heard of this term before. I've never heard of hogging in my life, unless you're like hogging some snacks or something. <laughs> Like, can I get a chip? <laughs> that's, the, that's the only way I've heard that word be used. I didn't know it had a secondary meaning. Um, I also have never seen someone do that. And maybe it's because uh, most of my circles are filled with women friends. And so I don't know if I have the, I don't know if I'm privy enough to even be around those situations to even know that it exists. You know what I'm saying? Um, as far as like 
I, I guess I guess my question is why? <laughs> like why are you why are you targeting bigger women? Is it to make them feel bad? Like making them feel bad in exchange for you feeling good because you won the competition of getting the biggest woman? Like I don't understand the why. Well, some frats actually force guys to do that in their opening hazing phase. Oh, okay. And not only that, but going into the, the going into the hazing phase, think about it. It goes right back to what I was saying about uh, homosocial behavior. All the hazing is is homosocial behavior. That's literally yeah. what it is. It is. It is. And that that's across gender lines of the whole nine. It's all you're doing that to relate and to further deepen a relationship with somebody that's the same sex as you, which is beyond me. I don't run in circles where we need to prove ourselves to each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not Ooh, I like, love the, that. like the circles, I love that. The, the circles that I run in and I've always run in it ran in. It has never been a thing of like, oh, who can do this or who could do that for fun? Like, that's not what we deem as fun. Like, we need a good kiki and some drinks. That's fun. But like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, let's see who can get the, uh, the shortest dude in the club. Like, we're not, <laughs> we don't care about that type of stuff. And so, um, like I said, I think because, and I'm not saying that all women don't have those circles. I feel like there is a subset of women who always feel like they're in competition with their friends or always, they always feel like they need to do something to feel like they're part of the group or whatever the case is. I just don't have those types of friendships. I'm not going to say that doesn't exist. I'm just saying right. I'm not a part of it. So I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know what those homosocial. Obviously, now why I'm in it. Why <laughs> right. now, where, where my nini at? Why, why am I in this? Like, I, I didn't even know it existed. Like, this is this is a thing? Okay, this is a thing. My question to you is, looking back on your college life at a PWI, do you feel like you may have seen that and didn't even realize that's what it was called? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Wow. So it's been going on for a while. <laughs> it just—I literally. Not only did I not uh, recognize that it was taking place in the way that it was taking place, uh-huh. but people people joked about things in a way that was so callous and just mean. And it, for me, I was just like, okay, I, that can't be somebody I'm friends. You know what I mean? It was just more right. so like, oh, I can't be friends. With you. And it was easy for me to just be like distance myself, but right. I just, yeah. I think, I, I think I'm so, I'm too old to like, and I maybe I had an old thought process even when I was younger as well. That just wasn't my jam. Like who the, what? So one thing I'll say about me, and this is no disrespect. I know this is a disclaimer, but this is no disrespect to anyone who's pledged anything. I almost pledged something. I opted out because. I'm not into, I realized, I realized this as I was going, I didn't even go through the process. I went to an information session. I went to like an interest, I went to two interest meetings and that's when I realized, yeah, I'm not about this life. Because like you were saying, when you're pledging something, it is nothing but a myriad of homosocial behavior. That's all it is. And it's all for, it's all in a competitive spirit to break you down. Right. And so if you really got hazed, if you really got hazed to get into the organization organization that you're well you know, at Howard, they don't allow that. So you right. but if you really got, anyway, at Howard. Right. 
Right. They didn't allow it. But if you really got haze, <laughs> you know, because there's skaters that just pay the dues and, you know, sign the papers. And then there's those that went through the homosocial activities. I realized about myself, I'm not into that. I'm not into, and I didn't even know that homosocial was a term till now. I'm not into homosocial activities to prove myself. I'm not into homosocial activities to like if, if you, you don't need to validate yourself to your friends. You're like, if we're friends, we're friends. I'm not validating myself. I need myself to validate myself to you. You're not even my friend. Because <laughs> that's the way I look at it. At the point where- And that's I'm on talking, period. Listen, I'm telling you, at the point where I feel like I need to validate myself to you, we are probably not friends. Because the whole point of friendship for me is you like me for who I already am. And I like you for who you already are. You don't need to prove to me why I should like you or why I should want to hang out with you or why I should want to consider you to be my friend. If that's the case, we don't even have to be friends. Like that's, that's actually a thing. We don't have to be friends. Hey. So at the point where validation needs to happen in a friendship, nah, this is not a job interview. This is not you're not vetting me to see if I would be a good girlfriend for you. This is not a relationship. This is a friendship. We enjoy each other's company. We enjoy being around each other. We enjoy uplifting each other. We enjoy um, making each other better. Like, like calling people, calling the other person out when they're when they're doing something wrong and inspiring each other. Like, but let me ask you this: Do you feel as if those homosocial behaviors could create better bonds? Because I feel like the things that bond people, ooh. Superficial bonds that make you feel like it's a deeper bond because if you do it enough, then you feel like you're really tied to somebody, but take away those activities and what do you really have? Do you guys have the same interests? Do you guys have the same values? Do you like, like who are you as a person? Do you really know that person? <laughs> like, if but, I'm then, whole... but, but then you wouldn't be in a sorority that you didn't share the same values as those people, right? So but automatically you be... you're in the sorority that shares the values that you share. So that's a that's a, a starting point. Everyone's in a sorority for different reasons. Some people are in sororities because they they or fraternities because they really value what that organization stands for. Some mm-hmm. are in it for popularity and the nailia the jackets, the letters. Some are in it for the future networking they can do and the connections they can make. Everyone has their own idea of why they're, why they're participating, right? So I'm very much Amanda Seals about all this. I just wear the letters on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm telling you. She got she got dragged for that. Yeah, she got that dragged. Was, and she that was, was wild. She, that was one dragon she didn't deserve. Um, that was wild. <laughs> one of the few. No, I'm playing, but... Um, <laughs> but I'm, I, all I'm saying is that you could look at, oh, well, if, if everyone's in this organization and they all decide to do these homosocial activities to be a part of this thing together, they must all enjoy each other. That's not true. I know people that are in the same organization that don't even fuck with each other. So at the point where I need to prove my validate, validate myself and prove myself to you through all these homosocial activities I would never do on my own, you're forcing me to do these things to be a part of an organization of people I may or may not like, I'm good, love, enjoy. Like, and, and sorry, let me let me make sure we're both saying this right. It's homo social, like homa. Oh, but homa. It's, it's, no, I thought but it, was it is spelled H O M O. Oh, so but the you're saying 
Homo yeah. social. Okay. See, yeah. like I said, I so, haven't even heard of this. Sorry about that. I will but, do a but, I will do a homo social activity. But here's the some, but. Here comes the but. <laughs> it has to be something I like. Like I can you be just, on a all, not, I can be on a all girls flag football team or something. Like I could be on a whatever, whatever. I'm not gonna sit here and do something. You you do partake in ladies' night out. Yes, I can do that as well. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm not against homa social activities. I'm against homa social activities that don't make sense for who I am as a person. So the question is, do these do these activities bring people together and and, and make them closer? If if this activity is truly a part of who you are as a person, then yes. But if it's something where you feel forced to do it or you feel pressured to do it, then no, you're 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 in a delusion thinking that you're getting closer to people and you're not. Damn. Um, okay. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to see where it, where that would go. And that was interesting. interesting. Thank you for teaching me something today. No problem. Um, all right. Next subject that we're going to cover in this one, this is why this episode is going to feel like it's all over the place, but it's fine. It's all right. The um, world is all over the place. It just matches our, the world. <laughs> Zach Stacy. Now, for those of you who don't know, Zach Stacy is an ex-NFL player. He's been in the NFL for like six years, but um, he was a running back. Uh, Zach Stacy is someone who just was recently videoed. And I think the video was one of those uh, in-house monitor situations where you can almost see it like ring style. Um, he is a domestic abuser based on the video. TMZ leaked it and you can see it almost on any platforms. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody what to do, but we're going to talk about this here, but we just wanted to highlight a couple of things from this. So he beat his baby's mother. Her name is Chris Evans in front of their five month old son. He threw her into her TV, slammed her into the baby seat, broke it. And when I say slam, I mean, he used the rocks move like finishing move from WWE. Yeah, it was a rock bottom. Yes. Um, And on the other side of this, when you watch the video, it is horrific. It is horrific to watch. Um, People like Jamel Hill, Taylor Rooks, who are uh, sports sports analysis people uh, and commentators have asked others to be mindful of domestic violence survivors specifically by not posting or reposting the video content. Um, Others are saying we need to shine a light on all of the things that unfold out of these things to just highlight them even further. Um, My own focus around all of this, and here's kind of where I wanna take the conversation is, I don't know that there's a right or wrong with that, but what I do know is certain things were very jarring to me after I watched it, consumed it, and like took it in. The first thing, and again, I'm not telling you guys what to go do, watch the video, not blah, blah, blah. But she's consistently saying sorry to him the entire time everything's taking place around the domestic Mm -hmm. abuse. Mm -hmm. It made me so uncomfortable, like so uncomfortable. I'm like, you're being thrown into a TV and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry what are you even sorry about at that point he's mad because he feels embarrassed about something that you quote have done but 
I don't care what it is she did. I don't even care if she would have. Anyway. Um, then on the other end, the baby is right there watching all of this take place. Now, I know the baby's five months and the baby probably won't remember this, but the baby's going to end up seeing this replayed over and over again mm-hmm. on social media or on other platforms as he gets older, which is terrible. And then three, we do need to start having a conversation around, and this is just my own opinion, and I don't, I don't care whether anybody agrees with it or not. Um, we do need to start having a conversation around football and other high contact sports uh, that deal with head trauma, AKA CTE, we need to start being more realistic. We need to start being more realistic about why more NFL players or professional wrestlers um, are becoming more domestically violent towards their partners. And just one thing that I really want to take a step back from as I was scouring Twitter, I saw Hotep Twitter trying to make this about race. Wow. But literally they're trying to bring the black man down. Oh my gosh. And in and, and this situation, guys, I just want to be clear. We just saw what happened to Chad Wheeler earlier this year in January. A white guy who was dating a black woman. He, had a, mm-hmm. he was a white guy in the NFL dating a black woman in Seattle. He asked her, he, not even asked, he told her to kneel to him. She would kneel. So he proceeded to beat her. He beat her. The pictures are graphic and terrible. They are throwing that man under three buses right now. So his trial was supposed to start in October. It still hasn't. But I will guarantee you this. He will not be free. I can guarantee that. Also, last thing I want to bring up, and then I'll hand it off to you. There is a guy that DM Chris Evans, a.k.a. the baby mother of Zach Stacy, mm. and asked her, did you cheat on him? Now she reposted this and then put a comment and said, no. And what does that have to do with anything? He cheated on me, basically. Mm. Now, I just like to tell that guy, fuck you. Like, what are you even doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, I just, at this point, I don't even understand I don't understand anything anymore. Like we have got to like, as a culture, not do this thing where, well, if she didn't cheat or if he didn't, if you throw somebody at a TV and they never touched you physically, you are wild. You are a wild person. What do you got? I, you know, when I first saw the video, on TMZ, they were saying, this is on a Ray Rice level. You know, the Ray Rice video when he's in the elevator with his wife and he's throwing her around. And so seeing the Ray Rice video and and remembering that I was mentally prepared. I felt like I was mentally prepared to see the video that they were gonna show me. When they showed the video, I was literally saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, verbally out loud as I was watching it. Cause I'm like, this is insane. The angles, the force, the force, even the angle from the kitchen angle, when you see him pick her up and literally throw her 
throw her into the TV. And she was right next to her five-month-old. I think this, it's so weird. Because when you hear the audio, he's talking very calmly. Did you notice that? I was like, this is very odd. I don't think this is a blacked out situation. He's talking super calmly. When I picture a blacked out person, someone who just sees red and they just go, they are yelling, they are doing the most. I feel like he was very conscious of what he was doing. Um, and to, to your note about the whole I'm sorry thing, I think that that came about because she was trying to do whatever it took to prevent him from going off on her. So according to what TMZ found out, um, they actually spoke to Chris and this is not the first case of domestic violence. No surprise there, right? This is just the one that's been documented. Um, you have to ask yourself if there's been cases of domestic violence before with them, and this is the first time it was documented, she obviously knew to put those cameras in her apartment. Think about that for us to even have this footage. Um, and so having that footage is one thing. The other element to the story that I, I'm really confused about, and I just don't understand why this is, is that supposedly because there's been previous counts of domestic violence with her, with her baby's father, her ex-boyfriend, the times where she has gone to the police about it, they have done nothing about it. Supposedly she filed a restraining order earlier in the week against him. But there's been so many counts of this happening with no action that she actually wanted the video to go viral. So I know you were saying um, to me in conversation in the past that Taylor Rooks was speaking out against people sharing the video and telling people, well, don't do that. It's very triggering for people who have gone through domestic yep. violence situations. Yep, 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 yep. I was saying I had a different take because Chris Evans, the victim herself, wanted it to be shared because she felt like that exposure would force the police to do the right thing in her community. And so that video being exposed was actually for her safety, not for a, hey, let's pass the list around to all the outlets and trigger everyone and kick a yeah. black man when he's let, down. Let, let, let's, let's create domestic abuse porn. Like I agree. Right. Like, I don't think that was the intent at all. I agree with that. At all. And that's why, I, I want people like Taylor to know the story because if this is what's true, if this is what's happened to her before and there's been no repercussions for him, there's been no evidence in the past, she needs this video to be out for something to happen. She needs this. This is the only thing that she has. So I, you know, I understand some people have gone through situations and they don't want to see, well, don't watch it. If it triggers you, don't watch it, but it needs to be out there. This woman is literally crying for help through this video. Um, and to the CT point, it's really interesting because someone made a point online saying, don't even try and attach CTE to this. And what they were saying was, the CTE seems to only come into play when an ex-player or a player is harming a woman. Why don't they harm men? Why they do they harm men? men, they do. Do they? What, what, yes. What are the what are the statistics around? Motherfuckers throw people through windows, whole windows. True. The thing. True. Like all this happens all the time. The difference is when it comes down to men fighting each other, those charges are way less. 
And that is not a headline. That's a truth. It's not a headline. They do all that. I think that, and you, you made you, a point. Do you, do you, do you, you made the point you, of that. Do you know who Eddie Guerrero is? No. He was an ex-wrestler who's dead now. Eddie Guerrero is one of my favorite wrestlers. Eddie Guerrero did a lot of shit to people. Oh, okay. Um, and I just, again, Aaron Hernandez is somebody, Aaron Hernandez is somebody that also has CTE when he died. Right. I'm not, I'm not making it an excuse though. I'm not, I'm not using it as a scapegoat. All I'm saying is that's a part of the start of a problem as well. That does not help anything. And it exacerbates everything because you, you basically, and I don't want to poke fun at it or use the wrong language about it. But you're essentially talking about somebody's overall mental well-being not being fully there because their brain is partially mushed. Damaged. And it's, I, there's no nice way of saying that. There's no nice way to talk about that. I, I, just, I just don't always want to run the CTE route in this situation only because we don't even know if that's the situation. We don't even know, we don't even know if that's the reason why he's doing what he's doing. What there are men out there that do this every single day that have yes. never played professional football a day in their life. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I do think there needs to be a conversation around CTE, but I, I want there to be proof that he has CTE before we interject it into this situation. Because for me, I almost feel like interject, inter, interjecting CTE into this conversation this early without knowing if that's the case is almost like giving him an out and I don't want there to be an out if there doesn't need to be an out for him he he needs to take full responsibility for what has happened and um it's super unfortunate it's super unfortunate and I, I don't even know what to think about it I, I really don't even he just know got brought in yesterday they they arrested him yesterday oh they found him yeah okay and to even make this, he, he, he actually also posted out. He posted out like they're trying to do something to black man. And I went, come on, you, so this is, you so can't this, do that. This goes you back, can't do that. This goes back to this goes back to the Howard thing. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a do a loop on this. Oh, do you gonna double down on this? I, I'm gonna do a loop. I'm gonna connect the two. <laughs> I love my black men. I love Howard University. But when you do wrong, you do wrong. I'm not gonna sit here. And cape for you when you do wrong, like oh, they're trying to take Howard down. Oh, okay. they're trying to take down it. the black men. No, you did wrong. Okay. You need to fix the shit. Fair. Like, stop making excuses for being an adult and making decisions that were not correct. I'm not arguing that. <laughs> I'm not arguing that. <laughs> but but for anyone to see it as taking the black man down, they are watering what's happening. They are watering it down. And they're, they're calling the race, they're watering down the race card. When you pull the race card, it's like, this is not the time to pull out the race card. This is not it. There are so many other situations that we got going on as Black people that have nothing to do with this one Black man and this one white woman. This, this has no connection. Don't even try and use the race card in this. And this is why people, when the race card is used in situations where it actually fits, don't even believe in it anyway, because people are out here watering the movement. I, I agree. I, I would love to just have conversations about just, just, just have the conversation be about domestic abuse, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a simple way to do it. I don't mind that. The only reason I even brought up the CTE part of it is because I do believe that 
we're not paying enough attention to one of the starting points of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Just not. We're ignoring it. We're like, ah, oh, that's fine. If they choose to go do that, majority of boxers, majority of wrestlers, majority of NFL players, uh, rugby players, soccer players, um, UFC, uh, hockey, they've all experienced concussions. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, well, whatever. I'm like, okay. That's that, that, that's it. But speaking of domestic violence, we transition to our next subject. Danny Lay and the baby. I would love for you to get into that with us. So, you know, it's, it's quite confusing for me. And I've seen a lot of the IG story. Supposedly, Danny Lay and the baby, not even supposedly, not even allegedly, they got into a verbal disagreement on IG Live, on the baby's IG Live, actually. The, the supposed part is this all stemmed from Danny Lay ordering a plan B to the baby's house. I guess they must have had unprotected sex and she wanted to protect herself. On a because the red bone is what he wants. Isn't that what she <laughs> Here said? We go. Here we go. I'm just, I'm bringing Don't up start. her song. Her song. I didn't, I didn't make Don't that. start. <laughs> so that sparked an argument. The baby gets on IG live, proceeds to talk about Danny Lay and how I feel like he was alluding to the fact that her family wasn't really the best. Her family environment wasn't really the best. And, you know, he has to take responsibility for his actions and like shooting up the club. And now they have a daughter. So he's just trying to be a good person and and be there for his, his daughter and also calling Danny Lay a side chick. He was basically saying your family is kind of disowning you right now because we had a baby out of wedlock. Right. And, and that's he, basically what he's alluding. and he's claiming that he he saved her from the situation, flew her flew her in, you know, provided the baby with everything that the baby needed when her family didn't, did all these things, took her out of DR and put her in a really good hospital to deliver the baby. I'm saying the baby aloud. I'm talking about their actual baby, <laughs> and um, you know, proceeds to call her a side chick. You know, she's in the house as he's recording this live. She's in the house. She pulls up on him. She hears the things that he's saying about her. And that's where they, the argument ensues. Um, they go back and forth. She's embarrassed by the fact that she, he's on live. He now has 100K people watching him slander her name. She sees it. She's disputing everything that he's saying on the live. Uh, he gaslights her in front of everybody on the live calling her crazy saying all the stuff about her to make it seem like this is why you don't deal with these women because they're crazy and she's crazy and all this stuff even using his his own assistant to chime in on the situation to make it seem like Danny Lay is the one that's out of line what proceeds to happen after that is Later in the day, I don't know the timing, on Danny Lay's live, she's being kicked out of the baby's house and there are cops there watching her move. She needs to move her stuff out the house because allegedly she assaulted him. And so the baby calls the cops on her. The cops are there to monitor her move out the house. She has the five month old, they're in North Carolina. She doesn't live in North Carolina. She also sold all her stuff in LA, doesn't have a place in LA to go to. 
and is now having to move her and her baby's stuff to a hotel. She gets on live. She's talking about how she never did anything wrong. The cops are there watching her. And after that, there's a flurry of IG stories that Danny Lay posts proving that she's not a side chick. She puts up the dates from each one of these posts of all the times her and the baby have been together from December 20th of last year to November whatever of 2019 from a flurry of different moments where her and the baby were having cute romantic moments to show, is this how you treat a side chick? And Yeah, when Redbone is what he likes. Oh yeah. my gosh. So, so what's going on here is, is to me, uh, it's super unfortunate. You have celebrities chiming in, Tamar Braxton, who felt some sort of way towards the situation and was on Danny Lay's side. You have Summer Walker, who we all know, London on the track, her and London been going back and forth after them having a baby and, and all the riffraff that's been going on with them and her taking uh, Danny Lay's side and her supporting her. An outpouring of support has shown up for Danny Lay in this point, because a lot of women probably feel like they have been there themselves with their own father's child's father. What do you think about this whole situation? What do you think this is just love and in love and and being dumb? And like, what do you think about all this, the, the publicity around it, as far as them exposing themselves them putting themselves on live? This is another situation where this child's now going to grow up and see what happened between their parents and see how their father treated their mother and what their mother had to do. Do you feel like Danny Lay is a victim in this situation? Or do you feel like too many people are giving her too much to ride on to be a victim? I think accountability is a miss between both parties. I think if you are um, having unprotected sex, and a baby is in your system, not the baby, but the baby's baby. <laughs> Literally, the baby's the baby. baby's baby um, is in you. Uh, you have a decision to make. You guys, you guys had a decision to make before where you could have strapped, but then there's another decision to be made once the baby's there. And if you choose to keep the baby and you guys are not married, you guys are not committed. And when I say committed, I mean specifically saying to one another, we want to do this for a long term. I don't know the ins and outs of the relationship. I don't know what they've negotiated. So I'm doing this all based on speculation, which I hate, but I'm doing it on speculation. Right. But if you guys have not committed, I am not sure why you would have a child with somebody who you are not 100% committed to. Mm. Just not. So that's my starting point. But that's not necessarily just a referendum on her. It's a referendum on him from the beginning too. So that's the starting point of accountability. But as far as the transition from there and the family members potentially like, not being as active in the child's life or not wanting to deal with Danny. I can see all those things transpiring in real life. And then him feeling like, okay, don't worry. I got it. I make enough money for both of us. I got it. I can see it. But going back to accountability as my point, what was he doing with his previous baby's mother? How was he behaving before that? What were his actions then? If you know what you've seen, why would you want anything to do with that? If you've seen how he's handled women in the club, if you've seen how he's handled women on stage, if you've seen any of this, why would you believe he'd be different with you? I am not saying that he is a bad person. I'm saying he showed you the kind of person he is in relationships specifically. Why would you, as a woman, go, you know what? 
that's the one I want to have a kid with. That would be my question. And it's about being accountable. And on the flip side, he knows she's on the precipice of becoming a full-fledged star. She genuinely was on precipice of becoming a full-fledged star. Do you want to stop that level of progress? Are you 100% committed to this? Is this something that you want long-term or is this something that you want to say? Are you being that transparent with her? This is just this to me. Because if you're not, and you're telling her one thing, but then you tell her on another thing, it's something else, then you're gaslighting her. Are you understanding you're wrong in that? So I said all that to say, I don't feel bad for anything that's transpired within that because neither one of them are accountable. But as far as the situation that's being recorded and that's being highlighted online, I do believe there's something to be said about there's charges that were pulled out against her. There's charges, there's real charges saying that she has hit him before. Now, as a male figure right now that is popular and that has also put himself in a position where he could have been canceled not even four or five months ago. And to be in this same scenario again and not wanting to lose more, he records things to quote, protect himself. Mm -hmm. Frankly, that's him holding her accountable so that nothing goes further. She can't say it went like this. She can't tell somebody else it did this. I get it. Again, not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong, but I get it. I will leave it, I'll leave it all alone on this note. I don't ever like seeing this level of mess anywhere, whether it's in public, my personal life, my, my friend's life, anything. So this is just way too messy for me. I wish they could figure this out. Because I think they'll just have to be co-parents and that should be fine. But the point that this guy is mad that you went and picked up a plan B, that should tell you yet again, this ain't, the, this ain't it, sis. This ain't it. That's it. I, I wonder, do you think age has anything to do with the decisions that she's made? She's 26. When she got pregnant, I assume she was 25, possibly 24. That's still pretty... No. No, I don't think age has anything to do with it. I think infatuation has everything to do with it. If you have an infectious uh, vulnerability when it comes down to having a relationship and somebody somebody makes you feel something that other people don't, you'll, you'll go out of your way. You'll go out of your way to do things. Is that to say so, that it doesn't matter how old you are, infatuation can still take over? And oh, it can consume. Things. Yes, it can consume. Don't you feel like once you get older, though, a, a lot of people not everyone learns how to manage manage infatuation they know I think some they know do, how to recognize it and all. say this is what it is let me not you know what i'm saying i think some people do but not, not all i just i don't want this situation to taint her talent taint the history of her talent this this chick is a prince protege she directed breakfast can wait video when she was 18 years old like she came from literally nothing i don't want this situation to taint her story and i feel like the baby was trying to do that i do now at the end of the day that's my opinion at the end of the day the baby's reputation prior to this happening wasn't squeaky clean. Like he literally, people literally just forgot the HIV comments he made. 
a month ago, a month or two ago. We literally just forgot about that because there's been so much other stuff going on. It's like, oh, you still want to be in the news? Oh, you still want to be in the headlines? Like at this point, you're creating the drama for yourself. You can't get on live. Talk about your baby's mother with a three-month-old in the house and her in the house, knowing that she can hear you and not expect something to go down. Knowing her personality, I feel like he planned this. I feel like he knew if I push her buttons in this way, and then on top of that, make it public, everyone will see what I've been seeing and it's gonna come out and I'm gonna look like the victim. I feel like that was, a, that was all a part of his plan. And so I just think that it's unfortunate that she has for life attached herself to a man who has no emotional maturity at the age of 29, who also has a daughter, their daughter, and another daughter on the way from his ex-baby mama. Right now she is pregnant. So it's 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 too messy of a situation for me to like Ooh, it's too messy. For I me think here. everyone knew when Danny Lay got with the baby, it wasn't gonna work out. I don't think we knew it was gonna be like this though. I think we could we could look into the future and say, girl, this is when you say we I'm talking about the general public. What, what? What were you talking about? Oh, just the red bones. Not everyone. <laughs> just exactly. us red bones. We could tell, like, girl, <laughs> girl, that's not the move. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. I really, I, I really want to cover one more topic, and then we can move on, and we'll, we'll call it a day. Because the other topic that I want to cover, I feel like we can do a whole episode on. To be blatantly honest, the last topic is going to be the Travis Scott stuff. The Travis Scott stuff has been like. It's been in the news since it happened on November 5th, and I thought it was going to go away. It is not. And Avia, just to be frank, we were talking about this earlier. There has been more than 300 lawsuits totaling a staggering $3 billion that has been filed over the Astroworld disaster on November 5th. The question I have for you, and I know most of you have heard about it, so we don't need to get into exactly what happened there, but who should be held accountable? Should it be Rock Nation, Travis, Drake? Should it be the city of Houston? Who should be held accountable? And let's end the show on this one. What do you got? I, I don't think Drake should be held, held accountable. I think out of everyone that you listed, Drake should not be held accountable. That's okay, here's where people would disagree with you. He right. has just as much ability when he's on stage as Travis Scott to stop the show. That's I where they said he would be held he accountable. That is if he is aware. That is if he is aware. Right? But... As, as as the artist on stage, that is where that assertion of him being there is why people are like, he's also at fault. He was on stage. I get that. But we don't know what Drake's view, viewpoint was. We don't, we don't know. This is the thing. I went to the last, one of the last concerts I went to pre-pandemic, actually the last, one of the last concerts I went to at all, because I haven't been to a concert since the pandemic, because, you know. The pandemic was Astroworld and at uh, Madison Square Garden. And um, luckily nothing to that magnitude happened at that concert. There was, everyone stayed in their proper seats. It was not a festival setting. It wasn't like anything goes and crowds pushing and nothing like that, right? But 
looking at Travis Scott's history and especially hearing about what happened with Travis Scott a few years ago at Terminal 5, that story where people were jumping off the second story balcony into the crowd and um, one guy actually got pushed so hard over the ledge of the balcony that he fell and became paralyzed. At that particular concert, Travis was egging people to jump into the crowd. There's video of him doing it. And I remember when the story came out, I'm like, wow, he really has a lot of control over his fans. For, them, for him to even say something and they just do it. And they have no regard for, hey, I could break my neck. He's telling them, jump into the crowd, they'll catch you. And people were injured from that. Now, I'm not saying these people at this particular concert had no autonomy over their choices, their bodies, what they were doing, with the exception of the guy who got pushed over. He's an exception. But anyone who chose to jump, from Travis's words, very questionable. All I'm saying is that that is- But that's not how things happened. At this concert, so we're focused on this concert. That's not how things happened, but my connection to this is that the the Terminal 5 concert and other concerts, other random concerts, you see Travis reacting to the crowd in a certain way. And so Travis is all about the ragers. He's all about raging. You a rager. We Yeah, rage and riot. Rage and riot. That's a part of things that he's- Right, it's it's a part of his brand, right? That was oh. what was that was his 2015 to probably 2018 branding. That is a he fact. Calls, fundamental. He calls Stormy his little rager. It's, it's, that is his that is part of his language, you know. So, at some point, we have to we have to talk about accountability. Yes, if someone is inciting things, if you have Donald Trump inciting a mob on January 6th to go storm the Capitol building, yes. You should be at fault because you have put something in their minds to say, this is okay, right? Where I'm going with that is Travis Scott needs to take some accountability for the things that have transpired in the past. And unfortunately, because of those things happening, it's not making him look good in a situation where he may or may not be innocent. We don't know. All I'm saying is that from the videos that I've seen, I don't know if you saw the video of that one girl who noticed that people were being trampled and people were being packed on top of each other to the point where pe- people were just laid out and not breathing and unconscious. And that girl, there's a video of this girl who runs up on a ladder on the side of the stage and is trying to get a cameraman's attention and say, there's people dying down there, there's people dying. And maybe he didn't hear her. Maybe he thought that she was trying to bum rush the stage, but he shooed her off and she gets in front of him and she tries to wave her hands and tell him people are dying down there. I have to wonder, yes, Live Nation is at fault. Yes, the city of Houston is at fault. Because at the end of the day, if something happened to Travis, trust and believe proper medical attention would be had. I heard that from what was happening, by the time the medics even got through to the people that were injured, half of them didn't even know what to do. These were not even like fully trained, properly trained medics. I don't know where they got them from, but half of them did not know what to do. They were hesitating. This is from accounts of people that were there watching the situation. 
So in a moment like this, where every second matters when it comes to someone's life, and when it comes to someone's ability to breathe and take in oxygen, and you have a medic that finally gets there and doesn't know what to do, you are held liable. So should Travis be blamed for this? I don't know. All I know is that he does have a certain view. He was on stage longer than Drake. If this is what's happening and you're all about the raging experience, I'm not quite sure that if Travis did see a bum rush of people that he would have done anything to stop that because from what he's shown us raging is his thing so if that's what he views it as oh they're just raging i don't think that he would have the precaution to even think oh let me see if everyone's okay because that's right, part I, of his brand. I, I, i'm getting in here get, um, get in there so one does an artist is it or is it an artist's responsibility to put on a safe show um only to the extent that they don't cause more rage if that makes sense so like in 2015 2016 travis is on stage telling people to jump over the barricades mm -hmm. he's at he's at fault he's a hundred it goes back to a legal argument he's a hundred percent at fault if he's telling them to disregard security jump over a thing and come from rush to stage. Mm -hmm. You're at fault. You are igniting the riot. Mm -hmm. You just playing music and you doing your thing. You performing is not igniting a riot. You're doing what they paid to see. So then who is responsible? Because at this specific juncture that we were talking about, he's not doing that. In fact, he's stopping the show several times to be like, hey, there's somebody up there. Don't touch that person. Actually, ambulance, go over there, help. Right, that's happening. There's, there's mm -hmm. video of that. You can see it. Mm -hmm. To to your point about Drake, Drake's on stage for a limited amount of time. Drake has no fucking idea what the fuck is going on. He's just there, have a good time. It's supposed to be a three day thing. Let's have a good time. Couple songs. So let's talk about what, in my opinion, are the real factors of this. Who's throwing the event? Rock Nation. Sorry, Live Nation throwing the event. Mm -hmm. If Live Nation is coordinating this and they have boots on the ground and they're structuring everything. And you've done Astro World how many years in a row? This is not new, right? Mm -hmm. This is not like the fir their first go around. It's up to them to create the proper safety protocol to ensure nothing goes wrong. Things were going wrong at the fucking entry gate. People bum rushed the entry gate. Mm, I didn't know that. And there's so many videos of it and people getting trampled and stumped at the entry gate. If you guys don't have enough security and staff ready for that, the rest of this is going to be a nightmare, obviously. So there's there, these kids bum rush the entry gate and they're in Texas. Texas is a gun allowable state. Like you could bring a gun, nobody's complaining. Mm -hmm. They're like, you can carry a gun on you. The fact that there is not full stop, full force security that's stopping you at that barricade and there's not enough people to be like, hey, we need to do this the right way. Already, that's not on Travis. He is not meeting with the, the, the fire department, the police chief, and meeting with their staff and crew to make sure that they have the proper amount of people. That's not his job. His job is to put on a great show mm -hmm. and to make sure that he can bring out as many people as possible to not only boost that, that economy for that small period of time, 
but at least give everybody something that they can go back to and say, we had an experience at this. That's his job. Is he supposed to be the person giving you CPR? No. But people are going to judge him based on his previous actions because that was the quote rager he used to be. I said all that to say, in relation to who's to blame, it starts with Live Nation. It absolutely starts with Live Nation. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the police chief and what they were doing. And the fact that some of those people, boots on the ground, were actually recording the concert instead of taking care of people right in front of them. Mm. That's insane. Right. That's insane. Also, when it comes down to medical staff, if you guys are telling me that Houston is supposed to be one of the biggest cities in all of Texas, and you know that there's 50,000 people from all over the world coming to the city at the same time, you have to actually be inviting more medical resources in during that time than you would at any other time. And they thought that they had enough. But based on what's been happening with our economy and based on what's been happening with there being a lot of people fleeting out of different industries, including healthcare, they've been lower staffed. Now, I do think that plays into it, but only a small bit. Now, here's where I was going to say the city of Houston has to take some blame for that. Live Nation has to take a lot of blame for that. But then here's where the bigger blame comes from. People, the people who are there, the actual concert goers are more at fault than anybody else. And it's not close. If this was a percentage thing, 80% concert goers. Right. Kanye West performing in front of 100,000 people. Jay-Z has performed in front of 118,000 people. Did that happen at their concert? No. Well, why? You have to make a, you as a concert goer have to make a conscious decision as to what your experience is going to be like. And if you come into this saying, we're going to create mosh pits, we're going to do all this, great. But if you're going to create the mosh pits, mosh pits, make sure that you're aware of who's a part of that pit, what's happening around you, because your concert experience then is impeding on someone else's experience that may not want to mosh. So there is respectability within what you're doing and accountability in what you're doing. And at the point that you see somebody on the ground dying, you don't pick them up and want to go take them to somewhere else. If you feel like you're stepping on another person and you continue to go and you jump and you step, what is that saying about you? So the fact that people aren't accountable for themselves is the bigger story to me than anything else. And these lawsuits are all frivolous if you're going to really get into the crooks of why is why is your nine or 10 year old at a concert like this? And I'm not shaming these people. I'm saying, why are they there? And if they are there, do you know the types of people that are going to be there? We're still in the middle of a pandemic. What is going on? That's it. I, I think that I think there's something to be said about why this hasn't happened at a Jay-Z concert, why this hasn't happened at a Kanye concert. Why has this not happened? Why is Travis Scott the one that has had injuries at his concerts before? If Travis Scott has zero injuries at his concerts, if Travis Scott has has never even egged someone on to jump from one story to another into a crowd of people saying, go ahead, do it. They're going to catch you. If Travis Scott never had all these instances of of crazy things that don't happen at a Jay-Z concert or a Kanye concert happen, I don't think his name would necessarily make as much sense as being on the chopping block for this situation. But unfortunately, I do feel that sometimes your, your past dictates your future. And even if he was not at fault, genuinely not at fault in this situation, even if maybe he didn't notice, unfortunately, he has created concert environments where that what happened 
on that day has been encouraged so that people who often go to his concerts know that. Those people who go to multiple Travis Scott concerts, they know that there is a chance that there could be a mosh pit, there could be a this, because they know the types of people that go to this concert wanna be ragers, which is what he inspires them to be when he's there. So I'm not necessarily saying Yes, he's at fault, but I do feel like there has to be accountability taken for the environment that you as an artist Create. created. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying he's not taking accountability. All I'm saying is that he's tied. Unfortunately, he will forever be tied to this moment. And I don't know how this is going to impact his career. I know Nike has put a halt on his shoe releases. I don't know when Nike is going to even deem it fit to release a Travis Scott shoe? Like, at what point do you feel like, oh, it's okay now? Because these people are going to be dead forever, you know? Um, the whole situation with the nine-year-old, I just want to know your thoughts on that before we wrap up. People are are faulting the nine-year-old who got I, killed. They are faulting I, his father for bringing him there. I already said it. That's literally what I said. Like, why, 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 is, why is your kid at a concert that's a, a quote rager i'm not faulting the parent i'm saying why are they there i'm asking the question that my opinion is a question because i don't understand it this is about the the accountability aspect of it i just don't understand it i don't i genuinely don't i there's no way at dmx in his prime i'm inviting my kid to dmx's show there's no way eminem in his prime i'm inviting my kid to eminem in his prime show there's just no way i know the kind of audience like the that these people drive out in the whole night Ask no, I, 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 I know the kind of audience that, that these people that I just mentioned bring out. So going, going back to the types of people that I assume are going to be there, and you're telling me that that person wouldn't ask himself the same question. Unfortunately, you know, his, his dad will have to live with that for the rest of his life. I just think that the accountability on Travis' part. But, but, I'm not, but I just want to be clear, though. I'm not shaming them. I don't have any shame to throw around. So if somebody dies, there's no shame. My only thing is about if you're going to put your kid in a certain position, make sure you understand the people that they're going to be. That's it. I have no other. There's nothing to fault about you wanting your kid to have a great experience, but understand the kind of experience and the people they're going to be around is all I'm saying. Correct. Correct. And, and, and I agree with that. And I think that's where Travis's accountability comes into play. I create concerts where this is encouraged. I create environments where people feel like it's okay to do things they wouldn't do at a Jay-Z concert. I create the environment, the aura, the feel for people to feel like I can do this. And that's the only reason why I compared him to Trump because Trump has been known to do the same thing. He did it all the time. You are putting the battery pack into people to go out and do the things that they didn't feel like they could do because no, no one of power or no one of respect told them they could do th those things. And so that's where I think that the accountability lies on Travis. And unfortunately, I don't know how much he should be tied into this, but th there has to be something. So that's, that's how I feel. I have nothing else to add. This has been an amazing show. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, let's do it again. Episode seven, <laughs> again, and again and again and again. <laughs> Good night. Buenos noches.